Well, it's good to be here this morning. And, um, you know, what Patty said about Ezra, you know, this the study, Ezra is uh, not always the first book people go to, you know, when they're thinking, hey, I just got to do a little blessing for people. Um, back when uh, we were in another denomination and there was some really, really uh, dark times going on, my husband was part of the uh, fellowship and the renewal movements within the denomination, and he wrote an Advent study based on Ezra. Again, not your first thought. But, and I'll tell you, during that time when he was studying and preparing, there was a, we, we were under some, some ser- serious spiritual attack. Um, because the message of Ezra speaks to the core of sin and idolatry and areas that we shouldn't be trotting in. It speaks to where all of us have been, maybe are, maybe will be, but ultimately within it is a message of great hope. It is a message of great hope. Um, I'm going to read it from the message and then we'll pray. And the reason I do this, um, the writer of the message actually said, never say this is the word of God because it's a paraphrase. But I know you've read the King James and you've got the New International Version. So this is just a little, it's kind of like a good news Bible, something you know, easier to understand. And so just want to um, give us that. So the way it's entitled, Ezra prays, look at us, guilty before you. So chapter 9, after all this was done, the leaders came to me and said, I mean, so the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, priests and Levites included, you know, the, the, the pastors of the church and the priests included, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring people around here with all their vulgar obscenities. And then it lists the different people that they have intermarried with. They have given some of their daughters in marriage to them and have taken some of their daughters for marriage to their sons. The Holy Seed is now all mixed in with these other peoples, and our leaders have led the way in this betrayal. Double ouch. When I heard all this, I ripped my clothes and my cape. I pulled hair from my head and out of my beard. I slumped to the ground appalled. Many were in fear and trembling because of what God was saying about the betrayal by the exiles. They gathered around me as I sat there in despair, waiting for the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I picked myself up from my utter devastation. And in my ripped clothes and cape, I fell to my knees and stretched out my hands to God, my God, and I prayed. My dear God, I am so totally ashamed. I can't bear to face you. What's interesting here is, see, he's heard of what has happened. But in this prayer, he is including himself. Because the thing about sin and compromise is it affects more than just one person. It spreads out. And... And, 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 and he is going on behalf of the people, but he's acknowledging that he is part of this. I can't bear to face you, oh my God. Our iniquities are piled up so high that we can't see out. I mean, it's just like, you know, piled so high we can't see out. Our guilt touches the skies. 
We've been stuck in a muck of guilt since the time of our ancestors until right now. We and our kings and priests, because of our sins, have been turned over to foreign kings, to killing, to captivity, to looting, and to public shame, just as you see us now. There are consequences, obviously, to turning from God. And there's this powerful reminder. Now for a brief time, God, our God, has allowed us, this battered band, to get a firm foothold in his holy place so that our God may brighten our eyes and lighten our burdens as we serve out this hard sentence. We were slaves, yet even as slaves... Our God did not abandon us. So even in the most broken places of our life, when we are held captive in our own sin, God does not abandon us. Amen? Amen? At least it's good news for me, people. He has put us in the good graces of the kings of Persia and given us the heart to build the temple of our God, restore its ruins, and construct a defensive wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now our God, after all this, what can we say for ourselves? For we have thrown your commands to the wind, the commands you gave us through your servants and prophets. They told us the land you're taking over is a polluted land, polluted with the obscene vulgarities of the people who live there. They filled it with their moral rot from one end to the other. Whatever you do, don't give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor marry your sons to their daughters. Don't cultivate their good opinion. Don't make over them and get them to like you so you can make a lot of money and build up a tidy estate to hand down to your children. And now this, on top of all we've already suffered because of our evil ways and accumulated guilt, even though you, dear God, punished us far less than we deserved and even went ahead and gave us this present escape, Yet here we are, at it again, breaking your commandments by intermarrying with people who practice all these obscenities. Are you angry to the point of wiping us out completely without even a few stragglers, with no way out at all? You are the righteous God of Israel. We are right now a small band of escapees, you know, the remnant. Look at us, openly standing here, guilty before you. No one can last long like this. But praise be to God is his mercy. Would you bow in a word of prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we thank you that it um, really is a GPS for how we are to walk and where we are to walk and with whom we are to walk. And Lord, you have called us to be in this world But you've also called us not to be of the world. And that's, God, where we find it being a little tricky. That's where we find it to be difficult. And so speak to our hearts. Remind us again that we um, are loved by you, that you uh, came to free the prisoners to literally break the chains. Thank you, God. Speak now to each of our hearts where we're at. Show us in your gentle, loving way where we have gone astray. And whisper your truths, yell your truths if necessary, that we might return unto you, always being met with your open arms. Amen. You know, we read like the Israelites once again turning away. Because, I mean, isn't that the history, you know, just they turn away. Yeah, God does these great things, they turn away. I mean, the reason, you know, Ezra is, is going from Babylon, uh, you know, back to Jerusalem is because they had been in captivity. Why? Because they had turned away. So it's really easy to say, oh, 
Israelites. Don't you get a clue? And yet, well, it may not, you know, be crossing a desert and complaining because the water's not sweet enough. There I go as well. Do you ever find that you confess the same sins? You find yourself in the same heartbreaking realization, repentance, in the old, same old way, kind of traveling from Babylon to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Babylon. So we had this dog when our kids were growing up, Smokey. Smokey was a Norwegian Elkhound and a big one, like at, at full size. He was like 80 pounds, and he was a great dog. First three years of his life, I always say it takes three years to, before that dog is good, would just literally walk up to my rose bushes and just pull them out of the ground. You know, just, and, just, and they're still there, actually. Those rose bushes, I think they like to be abused or something. I don't know, but they actually are doing better than the ones I've been babying. But Smokey was this great dog. Um, I mean, so great, in fact, that um, if we had, so we, we live on a cul-de-sac, and so all the kids would come down to, to our end of the street to play. And Smokey was such a great dog, we could leave the front door open, and Smokey would stand guard. And if any stranger came up or a car he didn't know, he would get up and go out there. And seriously, no bad things ever happened while those kids were playing. Um, and one time, this is totally aside, has nothing to do with the talk, but I thought, just so you understand Smokey, one time he was doing that, and you know how people come around and they put um, hangers on your door, like pizza hangers or VBS hangers or something? Well, it was a pizza guy putting pizza hangers. Well, Smokey ran out, and we run out after him. And the poor guy is on all fours in our driveway with all of his flyers just everywhere. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I hope he doesn't sue us because he could. Anyway, but um, here's the thing about Smokey. was really, really a good dog, minded so well. But one thing is whenever we would leave, Smokey could get into the cupboard under the sink where the garbage can is. And uh, we put a baby lock on it. We put, you don't even know the fortresses we put in front of that. And Smokey could still get the garbage out. And then, of course, that garbage would go all over the house, through the backyard. I mean, it just was a nasty mess. And, um, I mean, we, we finally did find ways to... <laughs> And one time I was upstairs. I think Smokey thought we were gone. And also I heard this banging. He was throwing himself against the cupboard. I'm like, aha, I see how you're doing it. But here's the thing. No matter what, when we came home and that had happened, Smokey would cower. I mean, just cower. Just, oh, I'm so sorry. What was I thinking? You know, he just would cower. You know what? If we walked back out that door, he would go at it again, you know? So, and I know you're going to do repentance next week, but, you know, there's, a, that's, there's that sorrow and that feeling bad because, ouch, I've been caught, and, you know, but the consequences. But I find myself as well, much like Smokey, and I think we can all say this of ourselves, that oftentimes we repeat. We know it makes a mess. We know not everybody's happy about it, but we find ourselves often, and we do feel bad, but not bad enough to change. So as we're here, coming back from Jerusalem, on this great time in the life of God's people, except what's happening. He hears word that they're intermarrying. 
that God's people are marrying people. Uh, and this is not a, anything about racism at all. Because actually, at, really, the, the uh, roots were Semitic. It was all about marrying outside of the faith. Marrying those who have a completely different belief system, a completely different God or gods. And that that would then seep in to the lives, the hearts, the families, the communities, all of Israel. See, that was the issue. It wasn't that you couldn't marry somebody of a different race. And In Corinthians, the apostle says, do not be unevenly yoked. I can't tell you how many people have come to me in my years as a pastor wanting me to marry them when they're marrying somebody who's not a believer. And this is usually the argument I'll get. But you know what? I think I can bring them into the kingdom. (laughs) Yes, yes, maybe. They might also cause you to fall away. You see, that's why scripture says do not be unevenly yoked. Because it's so easy in our fickle hearts for us to turn from what we believe. And the consequences for that go beyond just an individual. But they seep into our family life. You think about the influence that women have in their families. You think about the incredible influence. But if that influence is compromised by idolatry, that also is heavy influence. And this is why God, as he was calling his people, was calling them to be apart, that they might shine for his glory. The sin here was idolatry. And in Galatians it talks about how a little bit of leaven just seeps through the entire dough, correct? Now, of course, for your bread, that's not a bad thing. But it uses it as an analogy for sin. Because a little bit will seep through. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit God, says this. An idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it. Therefore, it drives us to break rules we once honored to harm others, even ourselves, in order to get it. It's anything in life. An idol can be anything in life. Anything that would draw our hearts to it and away from God. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the best things in life. See, we might think, well, I'm not robbing stores. You know, I'm not selling drugs to small children. It's often the best things in life that we can idolize our children, our marriage. We can idolize our church. There's just fill in the blank. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you, anything you seek to give to you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, 
your life would feel hardly worth living. And I think that picture, that it's often a very good thing in our life that can become an idol. And that's very danger, dangerous because it's a step of compromise here. I mean, when, I, I don't know how they uh, started intermarrying, you know. It's uh, back in Israel's day. I mean, let me just take a guess. So, Jew, as I have a farm, and oh my goodness, maybe my daughter could marry your son, and then we could join our farms together. And I mean, I don't know whatever it is. And then suddenly, it's gone from worshiping the one true God with everything we have to compromising and moving to a place that's very dangerous. And when it's compromised by compromise, see, it's so subtle that we don't see it until all of a sudden we don't even care anymore. People magazine um, once undertook a part serious, part tongue-in-cheek survey. It asked readers... To about sin. The results were published in something called a syndex, with each sin being rated with a coefficient. The outcome is kind of amusing and instructive. Sins like murder, child abuse, and spying against one's country were rated the worst sins in ascending order, with smoking, swearing, and illegal videotaping far down the list. Parking in a handicapped spot was rated surprisingly high, whereas unmarried live-togethers got off lightly. Cutting in front of someone in line was deemed worse than divorce or capital punishment. And actually, I agree with that. Have you been cut off in line? I almost kill someone. I'm like, I hope that I hope they don't go to my church because I just am so rude. <laughs> Predictably, corporate sin was not mentioned at all. The survey concluded, overall, readers said they commit about 4.64 sins in a month. (laughs) How do you do 0.64? I don't know, but you know. Um, But who determines what sin is? Who determines determines if we're 4.64 or 10 or 1? Who determines that? So like in Judges, it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I mean... What we're facing today as a society, and we're wringing our hands, oh my goodness, it's never been like this. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. The judges, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And God gave them over. That's, I think, probably, when we see that in Romans, that's probably one of the, the saddest statements in all of Scripture. Because it's God's mercy that draws us back, even if it hurts, even if we're found out. It's God's mercy that brings us back. And it's God's word that reveals to us how we are to live our life. When there is no abhorrence of sin, it spills over. It grows. And ultimately then it is simply renamed. Spurgeon said this, I feel that in our decade, and this was a long time ago that Spurgeon said this, okay? Most of us would think it was like a holy world back then. I fear that in our decadent society, even we in the church have grown so used to sin that it doesn't shock us anymore. Alexander Pope said, what at first shocked us becomes commonplace and routine. We are desensitized towards sin. We fail to have the proper response toward it, whether it is our own sin or the sin in others. So we minimize it, we justify it, or we ignore it, or all three at different times. 
One of the things, though, um, I just want to say, though, because when we think it's so easy for us to label certain sins and say this is wrong, okay, and we all agree this is wrong and that is wrong, but we oftentimes don't take serious what I call church sins. You know, is gossip bad? I'm just sharing a prayer request. <laughs> I mean, you know what went through my mind the other day when I was about to say something? And I didn't. Thank praise God I stopped it. Or God stopped it, I think. But I really wanted to say it. That's just my own sin. But in my head, I, I heard the phrase, I really shouldn't say this, but. <laughs> it's that but that gets you every time. I really shouldn't say this, which kind of gives me an out. So I'm not as bad as somebody that doesn't realize that they shouldn't say it. I'm going to say it, but at least I realize it is wrong. You know, some of you guys don't even realize it's wrong. See, but we justify. I mean, I, quite frankly, I have never understood worship wars within a church. <laughs> that people would be so mean to one another over worship styles. I'm like, wait, the whole idea to worship is to lift high the name of God. But the disunity... I work for ECOR denominations, so I work with churches and pastors who are going through crises. And oftentimes, it's the believers doing this over things that aren't that big of a deal. So it's not just when I think everybody's doing right in their own eyes. It's maybe it's not just the big ones that we might all agree upon, but there's just so much. Because when Jesus says in Matthew, he says, you know, uh, the word says, do not murder. But I have said, <laughs> don't even be angry. Don't even say raka. And so like with gossip, we think, well, gossip's nowhere near as bad as murder. I mean, if I murdered somebody, I mean, I would know that that was wrong, okay? I mean, if you find me standing over a body, I'm like, that is so wrong. <laughs> But think about gossip. Like if you murder somebody with a knife, you murder them once. But if you slander somebody, you stab them in the back over and over again. See, this is where, this is where it gets so uncomfortable following the word of God, right? You know, because it, it, it gets into not just the biggies, but what really I thought was my spiritual gift. <laughs> Actually, I did have somebody who did say their spiritual gift was being able to point out what was wrong with people. And I'm like, that is not a spiritual gift. And you might want to check out the church next door. (laughs) So Ezra's response. Ezra's response. You know, it may seem over the top. But man, it's that he realizes the seriousness of sin. And that's why... He comes across, he's pulling out his hair, he's, you know, ripping his clothes. I just bought this. I don't want to rip it, for goodness. Don't anybody sin while I'm wearing this jacket. Actually, this is an aside. I bought it about two months ago, but it's way too hot to wear it. <laughs> 75% off. Um, but he realized, you know, just how dangerous sin was. And so letting it slide. And the fact that the leaders were involved. I mean, it's serious. He sees the sin as drowning 
God's people. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God, the God of Israel, gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles, and I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. I love this. It says, those who trembled at God's word, they gathered. And I think when we're in God's word, when we're committing it into our memories and our hearts, like in Psalm 119, I have buried thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, I might be tempted to do something, and I still might do it. Lord, my confession time is sometimes very long. But the word of God does nudge. And this is what I find in my own life when I did, when I... Don't listen to that still, small voice. Man, I walk into danger, and I bet you all do too, that that still, small voice. He sees the consequences and the need for repentance. You see, the story of the Israelites is our story. We are prone to forget our God. Oh, we are prone to wander. And I think today with all the temptations, oh my goodness, all the things that can distract us, all the things that can, you know, take our hearts. Ezra 9.6, and here's such mercy. God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have been left an escaped remnant. As it is this day, behold, we are before you in our guilt. And no one can stand before you because of this, but that, oh, excuse me, 9 is this, that was 15, 9 is this. Oh, my God, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads. But then it goes on to say but in, in verse 8, but just for a minute, God had mercy. Just for a minute. I love that. Just for a minute, God had mercy. This terrible picture of the iniquity that we're just drowning in our sin and our betrayals of God. Just for a moment. He shines his mercy and his grace. Um, yeah, I did want to say practical, but I kind of have said it throughout. Um, but that we don't go from zero to 100 overnight. It is the compromises. It is the still, small voice. In ECO, um, our denomination, pastors are required. This is in our Constitution. Pastors are required to be in pastor covenant groups. The pastors who have fallen because of a moral failure, by and large, are not part of the pastor covenant group. They're not part of a group of godly men or women coming around them, and as iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. That importance of somebody saying, I love you, but I love you enough to say this is not right behavior, your attitude is wrong to have people who can speak truth into our life in a loving, loving way. Or, you know, quite frankly, no, let me just correct that. (laughs) Even if they're unloving, (laughs) doesn't make it, I mean, see, that's sometimes how we excuse it. Did you hear the way they talked to me? (laughs) Yeah, but did you see what you did? (laughs) I mean, maybe they shouldn't have talked to you that way, but maybe you shouldn't have done that either. Tim Keller continues this, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. 
We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. We think we're in control. See, it pulls us in. And the only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true one living God. He's the only one who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you. And if you fail him, can truly forgive you. God's mercy. So I have this, um, I have one slide, you know, it's good to have a slide. Okay, do you see what that, do you see what it says? What does it say? So um, I was uh, at a, I was working on this yesterday morning and then I had a staff meeting here um, with Glenn Kirk and we do it over where this, I think the senior hires meet in that room. What is that called? Gathering. And uh, then afterwards I went into the bathroom stall and this is written. And so first of all, I'm like, well, you should be sorry for putting graffiti in the church bathroom. But I don't know. I, I just have been pondering this and I think, Whoever did that, God bless you. You know, had they, are you confessing? (laughs) Oh, Barb, we forgive you. We do want you to clean that off, though. Um, I totally forgot my point. When I sent this to Caitlin, she goes, yeah, I'm kind of curious how you're going to use that. (laughs) But I thought about whoever it was. And I'm thinking, you know, a high schooler. I'm thinking of somebody who's, I don't know. I'm thinking of somebody who's struggling. I'm thinking of maybe somebody who heard the message. And then just, I'm sorry. Can I, I am not condoning writing your sin on the you know, lavatory walls. But I, I don't know. I'm just, I just saw that. And I saw it more as a, somebody's heart. I'm sorry. And see, not sorry that we're caught. Not sorry that there's consequences, but when we are nudged in our heart that we have fallen short, that our sorry, sorry that we've broken the heart of God, sorry that we've grieved the Holy Spirit, sorry, yes, that it hurts our spouse, it hurts our children, it hurts our church, our community. Most of all, it really breaks the heart of God. I love that. But now for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in this sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. I I just love that. There is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon and cover. There is no sin that is a match for his grace. The reason that God is so brokenhearted with the Israelites and with our own compromises is that he has called us as a chosen people, a holy priesthood. I mean, once we did not have a name, but now we have been given name as the children of God. We belong to his family. And within his family, from start to finish, there is forgiveness. But that we would be people who would filter what we say, um, our beliefs, our attitudes, everything, through God's holy and righteous word. And that it never leads us to being judgmental of others, because I'll tell you, being judgmental is a pretty darn big sin. 
But sometimes I feel judgmental when I have pulled off this Christianity really well. <laughs> I'm just being honest here. I mean, I do confess it. But you know, we, it's just we're between now, we're, we're in process until we go home to glory. It's, it's all about every single day seeking the Lord, every single day confessing our sin. You know, um, Psalm 119, where I love this, and I'm totally paraphrasing this, but when the psalmist confesses, he basically says, Lord, would you forgive me of the sins I really like, and I just keep continuing to do them because I just really like them? And also, would you forgive me of the sins that I'm not even aware I'm doing? And we can add to that prayer, and God, would you help me desire you more than whatever is holding me? At the cross, we see the very worst that sin can do. As humanity, each one of us has been a part of it. But the crucified Lord at the cross shows us that there's nothing sin can do that can thwart the love and the mercy, the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow in a word of prayer with me, please? Lord, I am so thankful I had this opportunity. And I, I'm, I hope that my heart hears what this scripture has said to me. And for each lady here, God, remind all of us that we are your children. We are forgiven. You have called us out of a dark world into the light of your love and mercy. Help us each day empowered by your Holy Spirit to live into this gift, into this grace. God, help us to listen to that still, small voice. God, show us the things that we are bowing down to that are good things. Show us the places we are finding our worth apart from you. And God, help us not to hold them tightly, but to release them to you. Help us find our full satisfaction in you. And we pray that that would trickle down into our families, into our church, and into our communities. Blessed be the name of our God, who in the midst of sin and depravity for a moment, many, many moments, shines down his grace. Thank you, Lord. Amen.